0: if anybody doesn't know me, my name is Jeremy Porter. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Jesse Barrett is our pastor, and he is uh, taking two weeks off. So this is his second week off. He'll be back next week. And uh, I'm excited to be able to be back speaking today. I haven't done it in over, a little over a year. So if you see the rust coming off me, hopefully it comes off early and we can, um, we can get right into it. So we're going to be in the book of James today. You can open to there if you'd like, uh, get a head start on me. But I am going to tell you why we're talking about James today. Because I'm not a uh, preacher. I usually have to come and just give you whatever God's been working on in my life. That's the only way I know how to do it. Um, and so I'll tell you why we're going to be in James. A few weeks ago, we were finishing up our Tuesday night Bible study for, for the Christmas break. And we were finishing Ephesians 6, and we were talking about the sword of the Spirit. And so I was suggesting to everyone how important it is that if you're going to battle Satan, to have God's word in your heart. And we talked, of course, about scripture memorization. And um, in preparing for that night, I had looked at all the ways that you can memorize scripture, right? There's the tried and true, write it down you know, several times, read it a bunch of times, and then you memorize it sentence by sentence starting at the beginning or phrase by phrase, right? But I found this really interesting article by a guy who was like 88 years old, and what he said was the way that he had memorized the entire New Testament was that he read a um, 15, whatever, he, he would pick a passage that he could read in 15 minutes or about 15 minutes and he read that 50 times before selecting anything to memorize, right? So what he said was he would read it 50 times so that he had the full concept of that passage. And then if you memorize the key verse, it wasn't to remind you of the key verse. It was to remind you of the entire passage, right? And so um, this, it doesn't seem that ra- radical, right? But it, it did seem new to me, right? It just seemed like a different way of doing it. And so I told that group that night that I was going to dedicate myself because I was the leader, I need to do that, right? And over the next seven days, I was going to try that. And so I looked for a passage that takes about 15 minutes to read, and James takes about 15 minutes to read. And I hadn't studied James since I was a teenager, so it had been sort of calling my name for a little while. And um, so I said, in seven days, I'm going to read it 10 times, right? Let's just get a start at and see what that does. So um, it starts off like this. The second uh, verse in James 1 starts with, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so I thought, this is perfect, right? I have been longing for joy and peace in my work, for a long time and I haven't been able to find it and I've known that I've been asking God teach me how to do this thing and so I thought that must be why he's got me reading James that's that's the key verse for me right there easy peasy I'm gonna learn how to have joy well so I don't know how many of you have read James a lot lately but if you look up descriptions of the book of James uh, from people who have sort of written summaries of it these are two quotes that I found James is a real kick in the pants for Christians. And the other one is, James is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for people who want to follow Jesus. Yeah, there's a lot more in James than you're going to have nice joy and peace and I'm going to teach you how to do it, right? It was an extremely difficult read to read it over and over again. You can't get away from it, right, when you've dedicated yourself to reading it over and over again. And James is so practical and simple and clear in a lot of ways, it exposes your sin, and you have to live in it. You have to stew in it, because it's so easy to say, "I, but, but I, didn't, I don't want to do that." And James says, "Do it." I don't really feel like it, but James says, "Do it," right?" And so after reading it 15 times in seven days, so I did a little better than I had planned um. I found that God does promise joy and peace. But it isn't some magical thing that you just stand here and receive, right? God is waiting for you to step out in faith, and he's waiting for you to step out in obedience to him. And he doesn't ask for much. He's going to do all the work, right? But he's waiting for you. And he's giving you a road map. So Reading it 15 times in seven days was the most humbling experience of my entire life. I, I, had, I had probably the worst week I've ever had. I'll be honest. I came out of there with the least amount of confidence, and I came out of there realizing I've been depending on my own skills to get away with life, right? And I've thought, I'm just good enough. I don't have to do those other things. At least in some ways, that was exposed, So that's why we're in the book of James. Today's not going to be easy, but why are you coming here unless you want to be changed, right? I don't know any other way to live the Christian life unless to say, where am I right now? And be honest about that, and then say, God, where do you want me to be? I know it's not completely right today. I want it to be better tomorrow, right? That's why we're here. So a little bit of background on James. He is, there's lots of disagreement about writers sometimes about, Books, but James is most likely the brother of Jesus, most likely the next brother for Mary and Joseph, the next son. Um, in Greek, his name is Ichabos, and actually, translated in Hebrew, his name is likely Jacob, not James. Which so there's some authors who now won't say it's the book of James, it's the book of Jacob, but it doesn't really matter, right? It's it's a name, right, and it's it's the same person. Um, He is believed to not have become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. So this, even though he was the brother of Jesus, he was not a follower. He was not necessarily converted until after the resurrection. He had to see Jesus resurrected first. He's writing to a local church of believers just like us. He's likely one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem that fairly soon after being formed, had to go spread out into the countryside because Rome was coming in. So they they sort of dispersed. He was martyred in A.D. 62. And this is considered the first book written in the New Testament. So just because it's in a different order in your Bible, this is likely the first one actually written um, in A.D. 44, which has some significance when you think about what he's writing. What he's writing about is... Uh, th- that church was dealing with a lot of the things that the current world church, the current American church is dealing with. It's, I just found that very sort of significant. All right, so I'm going to read the entire passage to you today. It's just 10 verses. Well, I want you to, if you have to close your eyes, I don't. I, however you need to focus today, the words I'm about to read right now are the most important ones that are going to come out today, right? And we're going to show that respect because the rest of the stuff I have to say is just the stuff I have to say, right? But these words are the most important. And I want you to think about the fact that he was giving these to a church just like this. So there are some people at that time in that church who had to read this about themselves. And so we're going to find out if any of it's true for us, all right? So I'm going to be reading from James 4. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses of James 4, all right? He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Can you imagine hearing that as a. Can you imagine having that read to your church? That must have been a tough day. So, for anybody taking notes, I'm breaking this into three parts. I've heard that's the right way to do a sermon. I'm not sure, but it just worked out this time, right? Three parts, and we're going to do part one will be the why. We're going to look at what James says about why do you fight, why do you quarrel, and we're going to look at behaviors and mindset. Part two, and we're going to look at the what. James is going to write us a diagnosis, sort of, for um, why this happens and what it is that happens, And who's trying to trick you into it? So we're going to contrast the fallen world system with God's system. What God would want. Part three is the how. So after him exposing all of our issues, he's then going to give you the how to sort of make some correction and move on. All right? So we're going to start with part one, and that is James 4, 1 through 3. I'm going to read just that part to you. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask of the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James uh, starts with calling out these bad behaviors, right? We don't Fighting and quarreling is, is accepted as bad behavior, especially within the church, right? We're called to be unified and love each other. Fighting and quarreling uh, isn't going to work. And I found, again, I found this so interesting that this is the first book written, right? To the very first church, they had to be told this. These people, many of them lived in a time where they saw Jesus, saw him physically, and still their love for the world and the love for themselves was still this strong. But we know that we're dealing with it ourselves, right? He says, why do you fight? Why can't you get along? Why are your relationships so poor? Why do you kill? Now, in this text, uh, he could have meant, in some cases, literally kill. We, and the, the same word is used in other places for to kill with words, to think murder in our minds, which Jesus calls out as well, just because you thought it doesn't mean it's not a sin, right? To think it doesn't really matter. We don't know for sure. Um, But he's saying, why do you kill or harbor anger and resentment and these these killer thoughts? He says, you do this because you're battling within. There's a battle happening inside you, right? Hopefully everyone here is born again and has the Holy Spirit. And you, while you are on this earth, are not going to be able to give up your sinful nature that you were born with. You are not perfected yet. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Everyone wakes up with it, right? That thing that's always trying to pull you back, it comes naturally to you, right? It's a, it's a battle um, that is to get what's yours, to always be right. I'm always right, right? I've always got to be right. The battle for more money more power, more stuff. The battle that says, I don't really need a code of ethics, I just have to look at all of you and say, at least I'm not as bad as you. Don't we do that, though? Don't we love that? The Christian life turns into so much, I am at least not doing what the person in the other pew is doing. right? That's silliness. That's not the criteria, right? But we fall into that. So to look really good to those that are around us. It's a battle for pleasure and comfort all the time. I want to just kind of feel good, and I don't want to have to deal with hardship. I want comfort, and I want pleasure. That's that's natural to me. I I always want nine hours of sleep, right? I want to get at least nine hours of sleep, and then I'll be happy. I was just talking to the parents in the room, sorry. Um, These sinful desires... I'm not going to tell you anything really groundbreaking yet. These sinful desires manifest themselves everywhere. When you step on my toes because I want what I want and you want what you want, conflict ensues, right? So the symptom is always conflict. You have it everywhere you go. You have it in your marriages. You have it in your families. You have it at work. You have it at church, right? And um, you will either do one of two things with conflict, Either it matters enough to you that you'll fight or you'll avoid, right? I will either fight you now about it because it's really important or I will say, "Mm, not gonna be around that person until they apologize to me, right? I'll forgive them once they've apologized for the conflict that they started, right? The result is why Christian marriages fail at the same rate as non-Christian marriages. It's why churches split, why families get torn apart and it's why we seek out temporary pleasures right when you think about the conflict you want to go do something that makes you feel good for a few minutes for some of us it's food could be shopping could be TV could be drugs um, all sort of little addictions or major addictions right that have short-term pleasure associated with them that make you feel good lying cheating stealing and it turns us into sort of our whole reason for living is defending that pleasure, that comfort. I'll fight you for it, right? I, I want that. I need that in my little zone. You go do your own thing. And we're miserable. It makes us miserable. You can't be comfortable like that. You can't be, have pleasure all the time. And the non-Christian looks at us and says, yeah, you're just as miserable as me. I don't need whatever you got, Right? Why do I need to buy your Jesus? You act the same way I do. You do all the same stuff, but you give 10% to somebody. I'm keeping my 10%. I'll go do it myself, right? That is not what the church was meant to be. The church was meant to be salt and light. We're supposed to be salt and light. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can turn to Matthew 5 real quick. I'm going to read it. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. This is Jesus talking, so we better take it really serious right now. And he says when he's talking to the church, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, your light let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, right? Just told you why you do all these things, to glorify your Father in heaven. If we look just like the world, then what difference can we make for Christ? Nobody's gonna care. We've been fed a lie that this life is about us and that it's what we can do, it's what we can get out of it that our way is the most important, that our comfort is the most important, that our feelings are the most important. And the one who dishes that out for us is Satan, right? His plan for this world may be temporary. And I praise God that it's temporary, right? He's already lost the the battle. The war is lost. The battle is not over yet. And he has a plan to minimize and neutralize all of us and to keep as many people out of heaven as possible, Right? And his plan is to make the church look like the rest of the world, therefore, nothing happens, nothing changes. We're just all sort of the same, neutral. And his plan of minimizing Christians is working a lot of the time. It's working really well. We're living in a country where we get to see it. You have people that went from having ideals to This is my truth, and that's your truth, right? We used to believe in something, and now I will come up with the truth for today. You come up with yours, and we'll sing kumbaya together, or whatever. I I don't, I don't know. It doesn't get you anywhere. If my truth is to hurt you, and your truth is to hurt me, that doesn't get us anywhere. So we're going to take now. We're going to go into part two, and we're going to take sort of that sinful nature that we just talked about, and everything that it loves and we're going to look at the world system that Satan set up to suck you in, right? You already know you're battling it, and now he's going to say, oh, okay, here's all your landmines, here's all your distractions, here's your roadmap to not be a Christian right, all right? So I'm going to start in verse 4, go through 6. James 4, 4 through 6. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Boy, those are strong words. He's talking to a church, and he's talking about being the enemy of God. Does that stir something in you? I don't want to be an enemy of God. I do not want to be an enemy of God. And don't misread that part about he says, but he gives more grace. He follows that with, that is why scripture says God opposes the proud. He's going to allow you to be proud. Go for it. Go learn those painful lessons, right? Until you're humbled enough to come back and do this right. He has plenty of grace for you, but this world has pain if you're going to continue to be of it. He says, don't do that. He calls them an adulterous people. (sighs) For things as common as being selfish and proud. These These aren't people who were just going around murdering everybody. They were selfish and prideful. Two of the most common things in the church and in the world. All right, so... What does friendship with the world really look like? Uh, What is Satan's scheme? What does he want from you? For this, we're going to turn to 1 John. You can turn there if you want. It's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. This is what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, there's our definition, three things, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I just want to draw out those three parts that they just sort of identified as don't love anything in the world. Here's the three things. And these three things are what Satan wants you to buy into. right? Some of them are subtle. Some of them are not so subtle. Some of them we buy into in, Haven't thought twice about it. This first one is a little bit like that. The first one is the more stuff you have, the more fulfilling your life will be. That's not very subtle. We hear that every day, don't we? We've bought, all right, I hope you haven't bought into that. But in a lot of cases, Christians have bought into that just like the world. The more stuff I have, the more fulfilled I'm going to be. It shows up in how we raise our kids. Um, and, and we end up looking almost exactly the same. It says, we tell them you should grow up and make enough money that you and your family can be comfortable, right? And if I talked to you outside of this context, or if you talked to me, and I said that in some way that wasn't very sneaky, you'd probably nod your head right along with me. Like, that is what I want for my kids, right? I do want them to just be comfortable, to have enough. I probably would have been nodding my head too. Even though in practice... Um, we see that a comfortable life often means more distance from God. Like in practice, if you know the people who are the most comfortable, how close are they to God? And if you had to justify that comfortable lifestyle one day before Jesus Christ, I don't want to be there that day. right? I don't want to have to justify why I led that comfortable life to Jesus when he called me for something different. I really don't. I was thinking about this in the context of a yearly raise, right? I don't know about everybody else, but this is the beginning of the year, and you, if you get a raise, a lot of times this is the time of year. And I work for a union, so we get that 2%, right? It's always going to be 2%. If you asked me before I studied this, what is that 2% for, that little bit extra every month? I tell you the story about how many months we've lived, paycheck to paycheck, and how that little bit of extra is really so that I can give my kids and my wife a little bit more than they've had in the past. That is completely disregarding the person whose money it is to begin with, right? If I get a raise, shouldn't I be asking the father first what I should be doing with that? Did he get me through last year? He did with what I had last year. Shouldn't I consult maybe a little bit? In general, we don't. In general, we talk about saving for vacations, and we're going to take our family to Disney World one day and, and all of that right with that little bit of extra oh man i didn't i didn't like i didn't like having to do this part um cuz it hits home um this is me you know this is me or whoever thinks that way being bought into the world system a little bit more means i'll be more comfortable and i should be more comfortable i want to be more comfortable but james is saying that means you're an enemy of god um and if you, so this mindset, more money means more comfort. And if you dare, any of you dare how to tell, tell me how to spend my money, right, you can go jump in the lake. That's our, that's our, this is mine, right? This is my territory. I worked hard for it. Don't tell me that I have to tie 10%. It's why, I don't mind saying that it, every time they do a, a survey, 2% of Christians tie 10%. 2% make it to 10% of their giving, right? That's supposed, 10% is supposed to be the, get the baseline. Everything over that is literally you experiencing a relationship with God through giving what he's given you. It's one of the most powerful things you can experience, is to give. And only 2% of Christians make it to 10%. All right, we'll go to number two. The more pleasure and comfort I experience, the more fulfilling my life will be. Therefore, Things that do not contribute to my pleasure and comfort should be avoided or eliminated. Right? If you, if, sometimes we, we spend whole months or weeks thinking about, that thing is annoying me. How can I avoid or eliminate that thing? Not saying, I wonder what God's trying to do in my life, and he's leaving that in my life. We, pray it, we try to pray it out of our lives. Right? Don't experience the relationship. Him saying, I'm leaving it there for you. Please see it. Please see it. You need to do something differently. Us saying, please, God, just take it away. Please, God, just take it away. I don't want to have to do that. Um, and that, that pleasure is how I'll find meaning. Now, what brings each of you pleasure may look a little bit different, but I don't think you have to think real hard about it. Right? I think you kind of know what those things are. They may be a little different for you than they are for me. But if I were to follow you or your family around for a day and watched you, and then the next day I watched a non-Christian family, would there be a nickel's worth of difference between those two? I hope so. I know families in this room who that's true of. Um, But is that true every day? Is it true every day that there's a difference between those two? Is there a difference in your kids between 4 and 8 p.m., what goes into their minds through screens? And there's a, is there a difference between uh, what you watch from 8 to midnight and what every other family watches? I, it's, it's a question worth asking. Or is it all the same? Yes, sir. This is my mic. I can't lose that. Sorry, bud. Um, if it's distracting, I apologize. Um, is, it, is it all the same stuff? All the same videos, TV shows, gossip, political hate, movies and books. It's all the same. Or is this another place uh, where we're more in love with the world than we are with God and we're enemies of God? Another place where Satan wins. And maybe you're saying media, all that stuff, doesn't have that much power over you. And I, I do, I, if that's true, praise God. I, I, I praise God if that's true. If it's true or if it's not true, prove it to yourself and take 10 days off. Out of your long life, take 10 days off from that stuff and see if when you come back to that stuff, you're not a little more sensitive to where it is garbage, right? All, those, all that desensitizing that we've got where we accept garbage, when you take it out and come back, it's like, oh, that isn't great. That stuff isn't good. If you replace three hours a day of screen time with 15 minutes of reading something like James, right, like I did, uh, you'd still have an extra two hours and 45 minutes to do whatever else you wanted, right? 10 days, take 10 days off and see if you're still the same at the end. All right, number three. The more power and influence I have, the more fulfilled I will be in my life. This one also is not that well hidden, right? This is, this is generally accepted. It's dangerous because it works just as well when you're trying to climb the corporate or social ladder as it does in a church. People abuse power in church just as much as they abuse power out there in the world. Again, how do we raise our kids? What do we instill in them? Do we tell them the most important thing is that uh, you have as much power and influence as possible. And maybe you don't say those exact same words, but maybe you say something like, you you should be a doctor or a lawyer, right? Those are people with power and influence, right? It's It's a mentality thing. doesn't mean they shouldn't do the greatest things that they can do, right? But why don't we talk about the greatest things they can do for Christ first, before we say you should be a doctor or a lawyer? We tell them the more people look up to them and respect them, the more love they will feel even though if you read anywhere in the New Testament, you find that's not true. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus says very clearly over and over again, you have, you have it through the Gospels, you have it through all the rest of the New Testament. He says, humble yourself first, and he will supernaturally do things through you so that you can shine brighter and be saltier so more people will, will know the Son of God right? Humble yourself first. He'll do all the work through you, and more people will praise God. More people will come to him, right? That's our, that's our script over and over and over again. Um, nothing in there sounds like to me that you need more power, worldly power and influence to do any of that. I, I don't see it in there. Have you ever gone to a, a meeting It could have been a church meeting or a work meeting where you had this great idea that you were going to bring with you. And it's like the solution, right? It's the solution to what's going on. You know the rest of the group's not really smart enough. They're not going to get it. So you've got to come up with the solution. And you do, and you come. And you give yours, and then the rest of the group picks somebody else's. Right? That twinge you felt might have been your pride just a little bit. And how does it feel when the power and influence you have over that group was a little less than you thought? And how motivated are you to get into that ministry? Maybe it was a ministry meeting. How motivated are you to get into God's ministry meeting after they didn't select your idea? Right? This happens. It's, 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 we don't want to admit it, but it happens. And then we're like, oh, no, we'll do whatever the group wants. <laughs> we're good at looking good. We're good at making it sound good. But in our hearts, you just lost us. And I probably, won't, I may not come to the next meeting, right? I don't want to, their, their idea is worthless. I don't want to do that. Forgetting the fact that this is God's ministry here today. And the more we grow, the more chances we're going to have for that, right? We're going to have to all come together, and everybody's going to have ideas. And at some point, you might have to give to keep peace and to keep God's ministry going. It's not, it may not feel good, but it is what we have to do. How about work? And this is, this is scary, probably not just for my generation, but I think about everybody I know, all my friends. It is commonly accepted that every decision we make about our career is about growing it, no matter who it hurts, and making our brand, right, bigger and better. At some point, um, your brand is, what is worth money. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? A brand is literally Nothing. A brand is just what people think about you. And, and so you have to sort of manage that. And in the end, you can potentially make money on that. that. It's really hard to think that that's where we've gotten to. But is this another place where your ideals match up with the world's? And um, another place where we're an enemy of God? I, I tell you, after looking through these three things and having to evaluate myself... I definitely have some resolutions. Some things that I want to do differently. I'm going to try to illustrate this. We'll see if it works. My illustrations don't always go that well, but we're going to try it. So I want you to pretend like I am about to become a Christian, right? The Holy Spirit's been working on me, and I'm about to have this, the conversion. And I want you to pretend, not to pretend too hard, that Jesus is standing here, right? I'm about to have the conversation, about to have the prayer, okay? He's in here in the room with us. He's here anyway, right, in the room with us, so it's not that hard to figure out, but he's standing here. All right. Jesus, I know I need you. I know that I can't do this on my own. I've done so many things wrong. I'll never be able to make it to heaven. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again, and I want to follow you. Jesus says, welcome to the family, right? Welcome to the family, son, I've been waiting for you. I'm excited about you. Throw off the world, throw off your old self, and follow me now. And here, I've literally given you everything you need to know to do the rest of your life for me. Whenever you're wondering what the right way is, every day, this is it. And and I'm excited. Thank you, God. This is so amazing. There's so much good stuff in here. I can't wait to dive in. And, oh, wait, wait, wait. I forgot my phone. I heard that devotions don't really count unless they're on Instagram. I have to have that. Okay, okay. I'm ready now. Wait, wait. Resolution on the phone isn't always the greatest for editing my, you know, my really good photos. So I got to have my laptop But I'm almost ready. I'm almost ready. Oh, oh, oh. I can't forget my TV. There are some shows I have to be able to zone out sometimes. I really, you know, I can't miss my shows. But I think, I think I'm almost ready. Wait, wait, wait. What about my career and uh, my house? How's everybody gonna know how powerful I am, how influential I am without that stuff? Yeah, sad man. <laughs> I gotta bring that with me. Oh, and my this is my truth poster. Oh, and Pastor, that was a great service about the you know the fruits of the Spirit. I'm really considering getting them on my vision board for next year. I am so excited. I am so ready. Alright. Alright. So Right, your word. Well, you can kind of see my hands are a little full, God. Um, so I'm not sure how I'm going to pull that off. Um, oh, oh, but Facebook will send me a verse of the day. I'm good. Right? So this is just a sort of a visual representation, at least I hope, of some of the stuff that we try to take with us through this path. And I will have done all that and gotten lost over here. And Jesus is still standing right there waiting for me. And I'm saying, God, why don't I have all the joy and peace that you promised me? I, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Where's the stuff? I want the stuff. He says, I, I want that for you too. Here's my word. It has everything you need in it. Now follow me. And he'll stand there and wait. Does that break your heart, though, that he's standing there waiting for you while, he's, while you got garbage? All this stuff that you prioritize? It breaks my heart that going back and forth with all that stuff and leaving Jesus, the one who died on the cross, standing there, watching me sin over and over and make no progress, shine no light, salt nothing, grow no church, make no peace in the world. You know, a part of our text today says he's jealous for the spirit that he put in you. He's jealous for you, your time, your attention. And when you're not giving it to him, he says, you adulterous people. This is This like a marriage covenant, right, that you signed. And every time you do these little things that we let ourselves off the hook for, you're sinning against a covenant with you and Jesus. The song today, this morning, those words resonated so strongly with me about why should I reap from his reward or gain from his reward? I, I have no answer. I have no answer why I should gain from his reward. We've got to remember who he is and who we are. Because he's standing there and he doesn't forget. He knows at all times who he is and who you are. You know, a lot of times we give ourselves an out. There's no out in this sermon today. I didn't give myself an out. I don't think I deserve one, and I'm not giving any of you one either. We always say a little, bit of, a little bit of that stuff is fine, and I think that's part of the reason we're in the big trouble that we're in, because a little bit of that stuff is addicting. A little bit of that stuff derails you. It's why Satan set his world up that way. He knows what's in your heart. He knows that sinful nature will say, yeah, that sounds good. That stuff all sounds good. I've read read 20 verses for the week, I'm good. That's supposed to be your guide for living. And I've read 20 verses for the week, I'm good. More important, I watch a little YouTube. When you say that out loud, it sounds insane. (laughs) And yet yet we do it. We do it every day. All right, we'll get to part three. This is verses seven through 10. We'll look at now, he's going to say how to throw that off. Throw that off, because I do not want to continue to live a life that makes me an enemy of God. Pick it up in verse 7. he It starts with, submit yourselves, then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So James ends it with like really quick, hard-hitting, sort of staccato, right? Here's a bunch of things for you. And if I were doing a sermon series, we'd probably spend a whole week on just this, because there's a lot to it. These are pretty practical and actionable. There's not likely one of these you couldn't do today. You couldn't start today. Um, we're going to cover them briefly and summarize a little bit. So he starts by saying, submit yourself to God. And this goes with my theory for the whole day, is that I don't think you can fully submit yourself to God and live in the world, right? If you're fully submitted to God, that world stuff is going to look dirty and unclean to you. You won't be able to keep going to it. Um, Yesterday I heard this great quote from uh, Franny, uh, Fanny Crosby, the one who wrote all the, all the hymns. And she talked about before she really gave her life over to God, when she was about 30, and she's like, I just pictured it because I, I had God in one hand and I had a world in the other and I couldn't, I couldn't do both at the same time. Right? I couldn't focus on the world and focus on God at the same time. They are always in different hands. I thought that was really a good, a good picture of that. This is pretty vital. Likely, if you don't start here, get yourself off the throne, put God on the throne, the rest of this stuff today is not going to work out for you. It's the first thing you have to do. You have to admit, God, I have not been doing this. I want to submit to you. I want to turn my life over to you. Please show me how to do it. I really want to do it. But it's not likely to happen if you don't say, God, you know, I wasn't doing it. I'd like to do it. Second, he says, resist the devil. There's obviously a whole lot of stuff that goes into resisting the devil. But today we're going to start with, you have to replace the input that he wants going into your head, the gibberish and the lies that either distract you or derail you. You have to replace that with God's words. You have to stop what is bad and put in what is good. That's the only way you're going to resist the devil. Otherwise, when he comes knocking, you're likely to do those things that you always fall into, right? And you don't assume that when everything's good, that when everything goes bad, you'll be able to do it. You have to practice it like it matters, like you want to get good, because things are going to go wrong at some point. There's nothing in here that God promises that it's not going to go bad. It is. He's, he may use it to draw you to him, Right? So you've got to practice it. <clears throat> so the only way you can fight Satan is that for every temptation he has, you've got to have a sword ready. And when we, we, when we studied that, Ephesians 6, and learned that the word there for sword actually means swords, right? It means to have a answer for Satan every time, right? Memorizing one scripture verse is not it, when Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert, he used lots, right? He, he threw back at Satan. Every time Satan said, well, what about, wouldn't you like to do this? And he had an answer for him. You've got to have answers, and they're not going to be yours. They're going to come out of that book. Okay. Next, he gives you several things that, deal, that involve dealing with your current sin. right? He talks about washing your hands. clean, Get your hands cleaned up. Um, go to those that you need to ask forgiveness of and ask forgiveness of. If you've got relationships where that conflict exists because you didn't get what you want and they didn't get what you, they wanted, stop waiting for them. Stop waiting for them. Don't harbor those anger thoughts, that stuff in your heart. It's just poison. Confess your sins. Confess them to God and confess them to the people around you right? Take the power out of them. Say to a fellow Christian, I am really struggling with whatever it is, and I don't want to do that anymore. And they'll help hold you accountable. It's part of why we do this as a body of believers. We don't do this one-offs on our own. Um, If none of the, I hope at least one of the things hit home with you today. I don't know which one it will be for any of you, but I think There's none of you that can say, yes, I'm doing this perfectly. That this sermon sermon was not for me today. If you can, well, uh, I don't know. Either you're deceiving yourself or really good for you today. That's not what comes honestly to us. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Don't go home and say, I don't think I'm doing that bad at that. At least I'm not as bad as John. (laughs) You know. Sorry. He got me earlier. i got to get something back, right? Be honest with yourself. Where does the world hold your heart? And then this is crucial. Don't wait. Don't wait after you've been honest with yourself to go do the thing. Jesus, there's, when Jesus gives commands, he doesn't say, here's the command, dot, 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 think about it, really decide if it's right for you. But God, if I tell them the truth, it's going to hurt me. He's, he doesn't give you the dot, dot, dot. He just says, there's great freedom in just obeying me. I will take care of the rest. I told you to go be honest. Just go be honest. I'll take care of the rest. Have faith. Right? You did, you did what was wrong. Now go deal with the consequences, but get it over with. Don't wait. Don't talk yourself out of it. Um, don't say to yourself, God, I can't possibly do that. You can. He'll give you the power to do that. I'm really telling you today, stop sinning. Don't decide what is right or wrong anymore. If you know it's wrong, just stop doing it. Just stop. Just stop doing it. Don't continue to talk yourself into why it's okay. If it's not, it's not. Just stop. Um, If that means that you have to reprioritize your life, your energy, and your time, I'm telling you, it will be worth it, right? If it means that you're so far off that you have to reprioritize everything to come back, I'm telling you, it will be worth it. He does have a life for you that is awesome. It is full of wonder. You're going to see things that you never thought you'd see. He's going to do things that you, d- you thought were impossible. But come back to him. He does want those things for you. He's just standing there, waiting for you to obey the simplest thing. Have faith in him and follow him. Do what he says, whether, whether it feels good or not. All right, we'll close with this. This is from James 1. So the same writer, verses 22 through 25. And he puts it right in the middle, so you can't really avoid it. And yeah, anyway, here it comes. He says, "'Do not merely listen to the word "'and so deceive yourselves.'" Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So I read God's word to you. Go do it. Don't just hear it today. Go do it. If you can't remember what God's word said, go read it. Read it again and again and again and again until you've got it. Make it matter enough to you that the person who died on the cross for you, it matters enough to go read what he has to say. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how easily accessible it is to us, and we have freedom to read it. God, I pray that we we would take full advantage of that freedom. And God, if there are things in people's hearts today that they need to deal with, and in my heart today that I need to deal with, God, identify it to us and help us to have the faith to know that you'll get us through dealing with it, that you are our heavenly Father. You don't Allow this pain in our lives just for pain's sake. You want us to come back, come back to you. God, I pray that it's so important to everyone in this room that their heart be transformed, that they're willing to set their pride away, humble themselves, and follow after you. God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you over and over again for your name, for your son, for the Holy Spirit that we have. Now, as we start this new year, God, I pray that you would give us a passion and a fire to do what you want us to do. Keep us awake, God, until we've done it. And I just thank you and praise you again in your name. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. Thank you, everybody.